Before we begin today's show, I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a new element to the podcast. I'm now officially on Patreon. Have you ever thought to yourself, why didn't Derek ask that question? I know I certainly have. Then head over to patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast and you'll get the chance to ask the guest of my show a question. You'll also get early access to episodes and a chance to vote on show topics. I'd also like to give a shout out to our patrons, Josh Shinnewerk and Tim Spivey. Thank you guys so much for your contributions. And again, if you'd like to be a part of our awesome community, just head over to patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and for this week's show, we're going to be doing our monthly roundtable discussion as voted on by members of my Patreon, and this is a topic that has been way overdue on the show. We've talked about doing this show for what seems like years, but we're finally doing it. It is a roundtable discussion on the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie released in 1990, 30 years ago. It is crazy to say that. But joining me for this roundtable discussion, first we have one of the co-writers of Monsters Anonymous, as well as my co-host on the Nerd Cave Retro Show, Mr. Jason Robbins. How are you, sir? Oh, a fellow chucker, eh? (laughs) (laughs) I had that at the ready. (laughs) good now i don't have to edit and post i'm doing good how are you doing good doing good and also joining us is the other co-writer of monsters anonymous the official fact checker of the nerd cave retro show award-winning comedy writer mr wally phelps how are you my friend good it's uh now award-winning comedy writer future congressman yeah wally phelps (laughs) the people's congressman (laughs) that's right if you smell what i am cooking (laughs) Dude, according to uh, social media, Wally got quite a few votes for a uh, congressman in Mississippi. So I'm like, man, we need to really think about running you for the next congressional election. I've literally been Googling ha- what I need to do to be on the ballot. <laughs> That's all I want, to be on the ballot. <laughs> Did you ever find out like what percent of the vote you got? <laughs> no. Um, I mean... All write-ins were fourteen percent. Jason's like, well, how many write-ins could they have? Honestly, I've heard anywhere from Gene Taylor, who was running against the guy last time, all the way to somebody writing in Mickey Mouse. So it's like, you know, <laughs> I accept this position on behalf of all. You know, it's it's going to be wonderful uh, well, if I get on the ballot. I'm pretty sure you got enough people to vote for you that the uh, the vote counters were like, who is this Wally Phelps guy? Right. <laughs> it's like getting frustrated at it. That's how I feel about it. It's like, what is this? If we want to uh, make this happen, I will be your documentarian. I will make all your campaign videos for you. That would be amazing. You know, yes. I mean, we I've got people in mind for like social media manager and and all that and i was thinking about doing a podcast uh a a weekly or monthly podcast called phelps helps 
<laughs> I like it. I would so, subscribe to that in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we're we'll we'll stop the political discussion, Friday. We'll save that for a future future podcast. But uh, we're here to discuss the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie released on March thirtieth, nineteen ninety. So we are thirty years and change away from the initial release. And what's so special about this movie to me, in addition to being a huge Ninja Turtles fan, because there have been a few fandoms that have stayed with me since childhood. Legend of Zelda is one. Star Wars is another. The other is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I remember watching the cartoon as a kid, huge fan of that, had action figures, comic books, anything Turtles related I could get my hands on, I had it. But what's so special about the movie is it's the very first movie I can remember seeing in a theater. So this came out in March of 90, so I was just under four years old when this came out, but I can still remember to this day going to the old Cordova Mall Theater. It was like a one or two screen theater inside the mall, and it was myself, my mom, and my aunt, and we went and saw this movie. And I can still remember vivid moments from the movie, like being in the actual room watching it. So, uh, Wally, we'll start with you. What What's your first memory of this movie being released. I remember I watched it very late in its run, uh, mainly because I think my parents took me to the movies and I didn't know it was released yet. I was nine years old, but when we were there, we were watching something else and I don't remember, but I remember looking up at the marquee and there was the, the four turtles poking their heads out of the sewer. And I'm like, Wait, that's in the theater I'm in right now, and we're not seeing that? (laughs) But uh, fast forward months later, uh, my uncle worked at the uh, Silver Screen Theater. And the Silver Screen was one of those where you pay $2 and you go see a movie. uh, It was a second-run type of theater. Right, it was a double feature with Willow. And we... We went in there, and that's the first time I saw it, basically by ourselves. We had a table to ourselves. Yeah, they had tables, mm-hmm. and we had a pizza, and my <laughs> uncle was drinking a beer. And it was it was a fabulous movie-going experience. I miss that theater so much. Right, I do too. You can go in and get pizza. Like you said, pizza, beer, $2 for the movie. You could go in there with 10 bucks and live like a king. <laughs> right i mean we we had to pay four since it was a double feature with willow yeah uh and then we went and we saw a movie right after that too uh what was that movie the uh the martians stupid invaders or something like that i don't know Mars but that was also in the theater at the same time <laughs> was it invaders from mars no, it was it was like dumb invaders or stupid invaders or some stupid oh, thing like that. How I'm going to look this up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I remember it vividly because we went to uh, the arcade shortly after, and we lit we beat the the Ninja Turtles arcade game. <laughs> That's awesome <laughs> cool. because we were so hyped up. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, go ahead. <laughs> what about you, Jason? Um, 
Well, this was the year after Batman had come out. So, you know, America was in the grip of Batman fever for that entire year of 1989. And then as soon as Batman fever started to die down, it was Ninja Turtle time. Um, you know, and that movie hit, the Ninja Turtles hit um, right at just, when I was a kid, the the Ninja Turtles was at their height, like uh, the fever pitch of the Ninja, Ninja Turtles at the time. And, you know, we loved the cartoons uh, and we collected the toys all we talked about at school then the movie comes out and seeing the commercials for it and if you remember i don't know if you ever saw any of the old commercials for it didn't really show any of the turtles they would just show some of the scenes of, the, of like Raphael looking out of the the you know the um sewer grate and stuff like that or the the sewer cover and you know they had the I, that iconic poster where it says ninja turtles and then it's got the you know, the, the sewer cover with all of them, their eyes looking out and it's like, Oh, what, this, what is this going to be like? And it wasn't hard to talk my dad into taking me to see it opening week, opening weekend, because my dad was really into martial arts when I was young. You know, he took Taekwondo when I was a kid. And then it was soon after this, that me and him started taking Shotokan karate together for the next six years soon after this movie. So I remember going to that movie on opening weekend and like you said, went, went to the theater that was outside of the mall that had, you know, the two theaters in it and went to that. And there was just, you know, huge line waiting for the movie. Uh, this was in the days before you could purchase your tickets beforehand. So you had to wait and, you know, three hour lines to get into the movie. And I saw it and just, Holy crap, what an experience that movie was because it was dark, it was violent, and it was everything that you wanted it to be in a Ninja Turtles movie. It wasn't cheesy. It was, you know, the 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 suits looked great, the voice acting was great, the, the acting all around in the movie was great, and it wasn't I don't it was just it was perfect i mean it, it, i couldn't say anything other than it was absolutely perfect and what it needed to be at that time and after that movie i was so obsessed with the ninja turtles for at least the next year or so before i really kind of started to grow out of it a little bit well the thing i remember about it was being shocked at like you mentioned it was dark and it was a violent movie, nothing like the cartoons. Yeah. Because you think of the cartoons, you think of eating, you know, cereal on your pizza and yeah. the cool music <laughs> and the the witty one-liners by Michelangelo. Now, Michelangelo was still very much himself in the live-action movie. Like, to me, he was that link to the cartoons. He was still yeah. there for the comic relief and was still great. But overall, like, the lighting was dark. The suit, like you said, the suits looked incredible and the effects still hold up to this day. And you think of other movies from that time frame, like Terminator 2, like Jurassic Park, those early 90s movies that in a way revolutionized effects like that because you can still watch those movies now and they still look great. Mm -hmm. And it's the weird thing is, is those animatronics that that was in those suits started to look worse as the movies went on. That's the strange thing to me. It, it makes sense to me uh, because of the fact that it was Henson 
Henson's Creature Workshop that worked on the original movie, and I think they worked on the second one also. But the it was the very last film that was where the creatures were actually supervised by Jim Henson himself. Mm-hmm. And in fact, this film is dedicated to the memory of Jim Henson at the end of the movie. Yeah. So it's it, it doesn't make a, a whole heck of a lot of sense that they would. <laughs> that uh like the third one they look like they're made of like putty yeah <laughs> you know and and then when the tv show if you remember that the saban live action tv show the they mutation. looked awful yeah <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well if i'm not mistaken uh didn't the jim henson company take their name off of the movie because it was so violent no, or I'm misremembering uh, something. You're not misremembering. It's kind of a combination of things. They didn't take their name off of it, but they they didn't. That's why they didn't continue to work with uh with the production company because it was so violent. Uh, Jim Henson was not happy with the, how violent the film ended up being. Um, to be to be completely frank, I the movie is far less damaging to me than you know, labyrinth was. So I'm not, (laughs) I don't, I don't necessarily agree with him. (laughs) I love Jim Henson to death, but. (laughs) Well, I I mean, you look at Jim Henson. I, 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 if he was alive, I would say, look, I don't care what you say about the Ninja Turtles. Dark crystal was hauntingly frightening when I was a kid. (laughs) Like, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you look at other movies from that time, Ninja Turtles is really, I mean, yeah, it's dark, but compared to other movies, like you mentioned, Dark Crystal, it's, it's really not that bad. I mean, we, uh, and and the movie I was thinking of was Spaced Invaders, by the way. Oh, Oh, I remember that stupid movie. (laughs) Oh, Uh, but yeah, the Henson company, interestingly enough, uh, a little tie to it. Uh, the puppeteer and performer who is Splinter in the film, Kevin Clash, is Elmo. Really? Did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Kevin Clash. Now, he's not Elmo anymore because of controversy that happened a few years ago. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he, he is the person who was performing Master Splinter. In fact, uh, he injured himself pretty pretty good uh not only performing this character but also baby sinclair from the dinosaurs that was uh actually uh being produced at around the same time because both of those puppets were outrageously heavy he ended up injuring his arm during the production of this film he must have been super young at the time Uh, yeah he kind of is yeah i think the first thing he worked on well, the first thing technically he worked on, he played Cookie Monster during the Thanksgiving Day Parade, the Macy Thanksgiving Day Parade. <laughs> that was his first official uh, performance for the Henson Company. But uh, the first thing that he did was he was a part of Labyrinth. He did one of the, you know, the the creatures that were throwing their heads around and stuff like yeah. that. <clears throat> he, he was a part of that, and that was one of the first things that he did for Henson. So That's one of the he, most he was, frightening parts of the movie. <laughs> right. And this is like three, four years later. So, yeah, he was yeah. a very young performer <laughs> at this point. The crazy thing is, when I was doing research about this movie, 
It actually took three puppeteers to operate the Splinter Puppet. Kevin Clash performed the puppet while the facial expressions were remote controlled by another puppeteer and someone else controlled the arms. Right. So that, that should tell you just like the the right. manpower that it took to make this movie happen. Because then you had, you know, the guys in the suits. And what's cool is that all the performers who are in the Ninja Turtles costumes all make appearances as themselves throughout the movie. Which I thought was a really cool thing. Like, I think huh. it's the the guy who was in the Michelangelo suit was actually the pizza delivery guy from the beginning that dropped the the pizza box into the sewer. <laughs> yeah. So, and then the, the guy who was in the Raphael suit... Um, was the passenger in the cab when Raphael's chasing Casey Jones down the street. Yeah. It's one of my yeah. favorite lines. Was going to LaGuardia, that? right? <laughs> looks like it's a like, big turtle or something. <laughs> you go to LaGuardia, right? <laughs> I actually had to go through a, a few years ago when I was flying. I went through that airport, and I instantly thought of that line. Like, yeah, I actually yeah. am going <laughs> to LaGuardia. What of it? Ain't that something? Yeah. It all, it all somehow ties back to, to Ninja Turtles. But I, I do think overall, like, you know, I, I obviously watched the cartoon before this movie came out. But I guess right. I, I was so, like, turtle fever was so high for me that I didn't think of the violent aspect of it. I just figured, oh, it's live action, so it's going to be that way. But as I got older right. and I really found out the history of the Ninja Turtles, because I didn't even know about the comic books until I was in high school. And those were very dark. Yeah. Right. Me, I'm always one of those people where I, whenever I get into something, I immediately go into the weeds with it. You know, I, I look at everything I possibly could. And there was like a a magazine that I remember picking up at the grocery store that had a feature on the upcoming Ninja Turtles movie. And having seen the cartoon and, you know, being a fan of the video games... I was flipping through it, and I was just shocked at how seriously it looked like they were taking it. Yeah. It was like, because, like, the image that struck me the most was a still of Leonardo sitting underneath the tree meditating. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, that looks amazing. <laughs> and, it, and it was. And it, it's... The the first time Raphael says "damn," damn made yeah. me made me freak out. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that was my thought too. Cause, self. Yeah, because yeah, it's when. Um, oh, go ahead, Jason. I was gonna say that's the the biggest thing. I think the reason why that movie still holds up is that they actually, when they made the movie, they treated it like it was going to be a serious movie, not, not serious movie, but they didn't take it like it was, um, what am I trying to say? Like, it wasn't it's like not, a parody. It wasn't yeah, like a it wasn't comedy. A parody. They made it like it a serious movie. It wasn't made to just be, you know, a money grab or you could, it wasn't made by people who didn't know the material. Like this movie right. felt like it was made by people that loved the material and wanted to make a really good movie with it. Right. It's the basically the antithesis of the Super Mario Brothers film. Yes. The exact <laughs> opposite of that. <laughs> it was people who knew the material and knew what worked with the material. And yeah. that's what I think the biggest thing. I mean, and, and that's kind of what they got away from in the sequel, uh, where, 
you know, they never use their weapons and things of that nature. It, it, it was one of those things where that first movie is a unicorn in that it shouldn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> it's too not, good. Not only that, I mean, up for, I don't even know what unseated it, but it was the highest grossing independent movie of all time. Blair Witch Project. Yes, is what Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, but <laughs> I think that's a lot to do with inflation. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you touch on a good point, too, because with this this movie being as, and I think controversial might be a bit of a strong word for it, but mm-hmm. that it was so polarizing because it was so different than the cartoon, because that's what most people knew Ninja Turtles as back then was the fun, goofy cartoon. They right. made the sequels more in tune to the cartoons and even the newer ones that have come out, the Michael Bay films, those are more lighter in tone. This still stands apart to me as without question, the best Ninja Turtles movie that's ever been made. And it's not, it's not close whatsoever. I haven't even seen the second Michael Bay Turtles movie. I didn't either. Um, I've seen all of them. But that one, <laughs> because <laughs> I didn't like the first one. The, the only real highlight to me of the newest one was that you got to see Krang and Bebop and Rocksteady on screen. Yeah. Like that, that was cool, but otherwise, it's both those movies to me are very meh. Right. And I, <clears throat> my time is precious. <laughs> I, need to, I, I need to have a real reason to, to sit down and actually experience something like that. So. And I, personally, for any movies going forward, I don't want to see turtles that are CGI. I want craftsmanship and right. actual tangible suits and masks and animatronics things that you looks like you can reach out and touch it and it's real and that's even what i they love augment about that, that like even if they just have like a yes. like like they they did with where the wild things are mm-hmm. uh where they have the suits and they just overlay improvements on it i mean not not totally going out of their way to redo it like they did with the thing remake but yeah. just just you know use it like makeup <laughs> so to speak and the thing is it, is we made these awesome animatronic suits that looked great in you know 1989 when that movie was filmed you're telling me here 31 years later we can't make suits that look just as good as that and have oh, it be you know we not, know they can yeah and that's I don't know. I'm just so sick of everything being CGI and over the top and huge explosions and buildings falling. And, you know, the government is after the turtles and downhill, you know, tank races. Like, I don't need all that. I just need like, that's oh, what I love. Protect the sky. I just need the turtles hiding in the sewer. Something happens. You know, April O'Neil gets... Uh, uh, or Splinter gets kidnapped and the turtles have to save him and go after Shredder. I don't even need, I, give me Bebop and Rocksteady. Give me some really cool, you know, big suits that look awesome and are animatronic and give me real tangible things and a good story filmed well 
And that's what we want. Or at least that's what I want. Well, here's here's my pitch. <laughs> Why don't we have it where the Ninja Turtles are basically these legendary things? You know, this has been years going on. And they're now being seeked out by this the, this secret organization. And finally, whenever the organization is able to meet up with them, the little twist is, turns out they're the neutrinos from Dimension X. <laughs> and they they need them to to find and stop crying in his minions, and the whole end of it is a giant underground battle in the Technodrome. I like it. <laughs> Sign me up. Send me my movie check. <laughs> <laughs> now, would you have this take place in the same continuity as this movie? You know what? Yeah, why not? I mean, that there's four in this continuity, and that's the this one, Secret of the Ooze, uh, Turtles in Time, and TMNT. And I really believe that we could do a sequel to TMNT, and you know, nice little live action. It'd be great. It'd be like our version of Halloween, basically. Yeah. And I like TMNT. That was a great, like, if you're going to give me CGI, give me a cartoon, yeah. like, you know, stylized world. Like, you know, like, um, like uh, Spider-Verse, something along those lines. There's a reason why those movies work right. and why people are just sick of CGI, giant CGI turtles that are nine feet tall in a real world with real actors. Like, don't, really? I don't want that. <laughs> I'll be honest, when I saw the first trailer for that first Michael Bay TMNT and I saw how big they were, I was like, I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm not one who's like, you know, just like so hardcore that you can't change my mind on things when it comes to fandom. But stuff like that, I'm like, <clears throat> why? Why would you do that? Like, right. wh- who sat in the meeting room and said that was a good idea? And my, yeah. I just, I just couldn't get behind those. And it's, I, I think if you were to make a new Ninja Turtles movie, I would want it honestly to look like the 1990 movie, like same tone, like because mm-hmm. to me the turtles are best when you have it's mostly dark, but you have that little bit of humor, much like you know Michelangelo, and to an extent Donatello was that way mm. in, in this movie too, because that was if I had to nitpick one like little thing that I may not have liked about this movie in hindsight, they didn't really show Donatello's like tech side of things. And I don't know if that aspect of his character was invented by this point, but he was more like the guy who was tagging along with Michelangelo doing goofy stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean that, that aspect of his personality was a part of the cartoon. So it definitely would have been there, you know, um, you know, Donatello does machines and, uh, yeah. that's we, a fact, Jack. It, right. <laughs> and, uh, well, that would be something you would want to bring out. Like if you were to make a newer movie, you would want to have him working on the turtle van or something like that, right. you know, with weapons and, uh, all kind of like, you know, uh, just tech systems on board and all kind of cool stuff. And what you could do is you could have that story where, you know, the original movie happened and here it is 30 years later. New York is a much safer city. Uh, the Foot Clan is gone. Shredder's gone. But, you know, the turtles are semi-retired at this point. 
And, but then, like you said, the, you know, they get sought out by this company because, uh, you know, the Krang is coming and we need to stop him. Like that would be a really cool, you know, like update on the story. I would like that a lot, actually. And you could, you could even do what Halloween did. You can ax two, three and TMNT and it can just be a sequel to this one. Yeah. I mean, I, and it, and it would just be, I think it would, the title should be Ninja Turtles if it's going to be th- that far into the future of, of, of the original. Yeah. Um, because they're not teenage anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I, I was thinking, you know, set it in like the mid nineties, <laughs> which would, uh, I think it would be cool to see, you know, 1995 through the, the lens of the turtles, uh, type situation. Uh, yeah, but, and then have another sequel where it is thirty years later. <laughs> Maybe do the last Ronin storyline. Yeah, yeah. I still need to read that book. But and, I would definitely love, love to yet? see that more more tech side of Donatello too. Like you're right, that's really the only thing in the original kind of feels missing a little bit. They didn't really have too many like gadgets and things of that that nature. I feel like that was really the only miss on the the character side because I felt like they nailed the other three turtles down perfectly. You know, Raphael yeah. is the hothead uh, rebel. Leo's trying to establish himself as being the leader of the group. Michelangelo's doing his own thing. Like Michelangelo, to me, is kind of the unsung hero of yeah. that movie because he he provides a much needed, lighthearted comic relief to an otherwise very serious universe that has yeah. been created. Right. I agree. Uh, and, and the tertiary characters are all fantastic. I really enjoyed April in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Casey Jones mm-hmm. was, it, he was my favorite character. So, you know, the, the whole, you know, that was a crime, you purse grabbing pukes, you know, I'm like, <laughs> beat him up. Smack him in the face. <laughs> Perfect casting for that too. Um, what was his name? Elias Cotiez. Elias Cotiez mm-hmm. played yeah. that role. Um, perfect, perfect casting for that role. He, he was the best part of the third film too. I mean, I'm like, I, I would if the whole movie was just Casey Jones uh, teaching these feudal Japanese warriors what life is like in New York City, <laughs> in 1996. I would watch the whole thing. I mean, it would have been great, but you know, I guess we'll see the turtles again. (laughs) They're all huge hockey fans. I just remember them walking around with the hockey sticks. I mean, I would even, he's like, Oh my God, I love it so much. (laughs) I would even love to see like, you know, maybe Baxter Stockman or, you know, wouldn't that be a cool animatronic to see or, or even uh, like Usagi Yojimbo show up at one point. Leatherhead. Oh, (laughs) no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, um, you know, Baxter Stockman was actually teased at the end of, well, he was in the most recent Ninja Turtles movie, but he was, the the whole transformation was teased at the end of it, which I think was interesting. Uh, Tyler Perry played him in the film. And uh, he did a pretty good job with what I saw. Like I said, I didn't watch the whole thing. I just saw pieces of it. 
Uh, he was better than expected. Enjoyed it. Yeah, and uh, well, you know, Tyler Perry is a wonderful actor. I, I don't I don't like his writing all that much, but he's a great actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the but having Baxter Stockman and Mousers would be. Could you yeah. imagine like like a World War Z type situation where you know instead of it's instead of <laughs> zombies it's Mousers coming after the the turtles and mm-hmm. oh my god. And we could update it where it's nanotechnology, so they're self-replicating using their yeah. surroundings. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was one of the coolest visuals, I think, from the original cartoon was the first appearance of the Mousers. Right. When they, when they tear through the, the layer trying to get Splinter. Was one of the, still we can the... get Sam Raimi to direct our Mousers movie? Yes. I'm sure you would do it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Sam Raimi, if you're listening to this, we got an idea for you. But um, kind of going back to the the original movie, we touched on, or Wally, you mentioned the the shot of Leo sitting underneath the tree meditating. That whole sequence when they're at April's old house is my favorite part of the entire movie because that's yeah. where you really get to see the characters truly get to know each other and interact with each other. You know, you have the the budding romance between Casey and April, you have the, I love the dynamic between uh, Casey and Donatello when they're working on the truck and they're calling each other names by like yeah. order of the alphabet. Right. <laughs> There's so many great lines in, in that right. movie too. And that's the surprising thing about this movie is how much of a character piece it is. It, it, yeah. We really, we really like everyone in the movie. It's, it's one of those, shocking things is i guess as a as a kid you don't really think of it hey it's ninja turtles but you know whenever you revisit it as an adult it's like every single character has their own um their own role yeah role but i'm trying to say like desires and they have their own goals in mind you know april's trying to do the best she can as a reporter uh, with all of these obstacles coming at her from the the mayor's office, the chief of police, her boss, everybody is putting all this pressure on her, and she knows that she's not doing what they're telling her to do, and it's because she knows it's for the greater good. Uh, we got Casey Jones, who is this vigilante wearing the hockey mask and everything, and his whole thing is he's trying to make his city safer. The turtles are teenagers. They're learning and trying to do what's best based on what their father, uh, Splinter, is telling them about. And then, and then you you know and understand the the uh, uh, why Shredder is going out there and recruiting all of these people for in the crime wave. He's trying to basically make him. A deity to these people and, and, and a cult. It looks you like. Look at what's happening today. That's not that far fetched to have that someone not. who gets all these, you know, these very easily persuaded teens and give them this probably one of the most awesome layers I've ever seen in a movie with right. skateboard ramps and, uh, you know, video games and food and free stuff and MC Hammer. Yeah, <laughs> and a variety of cigarettes. 
and yeah, regular or mental? Both varieties, yeah. You know, and and, and to go Sam back. Rockwell. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> and one of the parts, you know, we were talking about at the farm <laughs> that really kind of affected me as a kid was, um, you know, you've got Raphael who is basically barely clinging to life, so. They, you know, they've got him in water in the bathtub or whatever, and Leo just kind of like refuses to leave his side, and it just right. gives you, it, it just really kind of hits you. It's like, you know, brotherhood and and family and and friendship and just love for someone else, you know, and and I don't know, it was it kind of affected me as a kid. Like that was a really powerful scene. It really was. I mean, and the thing with Raphael is that him being the hothead and everything like that, it, it, it comes secondary because he he still cares. And yeah. you know he still cares. But well, at you the saw same when Splinter time, was kidnapped, he was the most affected by it. Right. Oh my god. That was a very powerful moment where he just like screamed Yells. and you could hear it and, and oh my god. It, the 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 echo, you know, they could have they could have played it for comedy and had it go out throughout the whole thing and go up yeah. into earth and stuff, but they didn't. It was a very serious, poignant moment, and I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, well I think it goes back to earlier in the movie when Leo and Raph have the, the huge fallout, and then Raph mm-hmm. goes up to the roof and then you know gets ambushed by the Foot Clan. Right. And, and it just kind of it shows that sibling relationship in a very real way, which is ironic because it's about two, you know, walking, talking turtles, but they, (laughs) they have very real and very human emotions. And I I think that's one of the big reasons why this movie still holds up is it's, we've talked about the effects and how the suits still look great, but it's also the story and the fact that it seems like a very relatable situation with real emotions yeah, that, that right. still causes it to hold up to this day. And also the, the pinnacle of that whole sequence of them being at the farm is when they're meditating around the fire and they see the apparition of Splinter and they know mm-hmm. that he's OK. And then they're reduced to tears. You know, I, right. I get choked up watching that scene whenever Splinter says, I love you all, my sons. That's yeah. powerful stuff. And those effects still hold up to. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it wouldn't be as powerful if it looked like garbage, you know, <laughs> and it really did set a tone and the stakes for the third act in a way that most movies just don't get nowadays. Well, and, and also if it wasn't for, you know, the, the magic of Jim Henson's workshop to get the facial expressions and the emotion out of those masks. And I mean, and kudos to the voice actors as well. That just like make you believe that these characters are real and they have emotions. And like you said, these really poignant, like heavy moments in the movie. And it, even though it's, it's supposed to be a kid's movie, like you can still, you know, watch this as an adult and still like feel emotions while watching the movie and, and discover you know, things about like humanity, even though they're, they're turtles. But like you said, Derek, they're the family dynamic. Like it's okay to fight. It's okay to have differences of opinions at the end of the day. 
you're still family and you you do whatever you need to do to protect one another you know and there's a there's layers to the performances that come across even through all of that foam and rubber yeah. <laughs> because i mean the, the number of people that are required to get that performance the people controlling the facial features the people in the suits the the voice actors who are all putting on accents you know the 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 brooklyn accent for Raphael and all you know it, it, it makes sense in the context of the world and it it's just so layered that i am surprised that they get they put that much care into it you know yeah well you think about like you would at first glance you would be like well why does he have a different accent than the other turtles like but you got to think like Raphael's the one that's always going off to to be in the city right. and being He's around people and, yeah right. and the yeah, others like, wants, yeah they're just they, kind of like no we're gonna sit here and eat pizza you know they watch tv and and stuff like that so you know it, it would stand to reason that uh you know michelangelo just kind of has that surfer like mentality like that skater surfer mentality like, cause you know, they watch TV and they love to skateboard and like all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Leo's just kind of like that, you know, he's the leader. He's, he's the, you know, the moral centerpiece, like the, the like he has to, to have that role because everybody else is just kind of like, you know, like that family dynamic, like you said, it's like, they're all kind of doing their own thing, but they're all a family, but they, every family has to have that one linchpin. Right. Poor Leo. It falls on Leo's shoulders. <laughs> so Poor he's guy. the one, of course, that feels responsible when, you know, Raphael is almost killed. And it's that and moment, it's, too, like, is that there are there's a good mix of humor before that happens. But when that happens, that's when the movie gets real. Yeah. Right. The stakes just go up at that mm. point. And, and that's what makes that final final third works so much because you know that this means business you know they're not this is no cartoon as the posters said yeah. at one point and, and that's the thing you get down to that that final battle between uh shredder and the turtles and even though the you know the rest of the movie they're fighting the foot clan you know the fights look great especially that that fight with uh Raphael on the roof with all the foot clan and he's fighting for his life like it's visceral you know, he's like, yeah. he's fighting to live. And then you get down to the end and you would think like this dude wearing, you know, all this hardware would be dumb, but it works. And the fight looks great. And those suits move like, naturally. And I, I don't know how much practice those, you know, the, the, the martial artists had to do to get used to fighting in those suits. Cause I know they had no field of vision. So those no. fights had to be choreographed to to death for them to be in those suits and fight like that. And it's just you can see like the 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 care that went into the making of this movie to make it feel as real as possible. Yeah, the the performers had to carb load and drink lots of water because they lost fifteen mm -hmm. pounds every Jesus. day of shooting. Jesus, <laughs> yeah. Well, and it goes back to what Wally was saying about the the acting performances. You even think of the fights as well. Those who are controlling the facial features of the masks have to make sure that they look real. So it, this all these layered steps through every process of making this movie happen 
that I think makes it even more appreciative now when you look at what really went into making every single detail from opening shot to closing shot happen. Yeah. It's such a good movie. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> still, I, still to this day, a 10 out of 10 for me. It, biggest gripe I have is the rap song at the end of the film says that Raphael is the leader and it bothers me. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think was also by MC Hammer. No, uh, I'll look this up. T-U-R-T-L-E power. No, it was, it wasn't MC Hammer. I'm going to remember it. Like it's around the tip of my tongue and I'm going to feel like an idiot because I was looking at the soundtrack the other day. Partners in crime. Partners in crime. That's it. Yeah. That's another thing I wanted to touch on too. We've talked about movies in the past. I know that the three of us have talked on episodes of the show that we've done as well as off air movies that have good soundtracks, but maybe not have great scores or vice versa. This movie has both. I yeah. love the like the late 80s, early 90s like hip-hop style that this music has when it comes to the actual soundtrack. And the score, I believe the guy's name is John Duprez. It was recently made available a couple of years ago, uh, actually like commercially. Like you couldn't really find the actual score anywhere, but now I have it on Spotify. The score is incredible. Yeah, absolutely incredible. I, I love the, you know, the the beat of the drum whenever you hear, or whenever you see Shredder for the first time. That wide shot of him like walking into the main meeting room, and then it the camera comes to the side, and you see the spikes on his shoulder, and then you see yeah. the mask, and you're like, uh oh, it's gotten real. Right. I think that you know that kind of goes along with my feelings on, uh, you know, A New Hope. Like that movie wouldn't have been as great as it was without that John Williams soundtrack because music can do so much uh, as far as uh, making you feel certain emotions and making a movie feel more important than it might be showing actually on the screen. Like look at back to the future. That's not an action laden movie, but you listen to that soundtrack and it just sounds big and epic. And the same thing with the the Ninja Turtles soundtrack is like it, it's got those perfect beats that go perfectly with the visuals, and like it's it would have been so easy to make Shredder look ridiculous if there wasn't that soundtrack underneath. Yeah. Like he sound it made him seem more ominous. It's with, the way you know, they yeah. used that that guitar was mm -hmm. really. Because it's not a lot of it. It's it's, yeah. to, it's to punctuate. So it's like it would come around, and then the the music would be like down, mm -hmm. down, and that's it. And it's like, oh my, this some stuff's about to happen, you know. Um, I, interesting thing with you talking about the good examples of scores. Uh, I was watching Ghostbusters two a couple of days ago. And I couldn't help but notice that I think a lot of the reason why it doesn't land as well with people is because the music is not great. The The score for the first one was done by uh, Elmer uh, Bernstein. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, he used a lot of theremin. It used a lot of, you know, it, it was very creepy. In Ghostbusters 2, it's a lot of comedic. You know, the, the, like like romantic yeah. comedy beats, like, doo -doo 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 -doo. and it's like, no, what, no. 
<laughs> yeah, if you're going to do that and you're going to have a sequel to a, a a movie like Ghostbusters with those very recognizable beats, you know, mm-hmm. with those songs that they use, you want to kind of bring that back. And- right. So, so with Ninja Turtles, you know, the the music is so good in it that it punctuates everything. It's it's without that I don't know if it would work as well if they tried to go because if you watch a lot of movies from that time frame from the early nineties, they have this quality about them where it's really kind of that in between the eighties and nineties because it would still be a little bit of casting keyboard in it. That kind of I was gonna say that it would have been very um uh, like it, that, that sort of that that synthesizer sound, like that worked so perfectly for Beverly Hills Cop. But then right. you had that kind of transition period where that was kind of going out of style, but people were still using it, and it just didn't quite work. So, so with I'm, this one, it's like it's kind of in between there because it does have the the like the opening is very like. Boom, 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 boom. It yeah. puts you in New York City at, at that time. Yes. Because New York's not like that anymore. So you look at this and it's like, yes, that is that is 100% New York City under this. And then it goes into the joyous... Dun, 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 and it's like, yeah, I'm a turtle. <laughs> you know? But you know, that, that, that keyboard, that kind of MIDI... Um, you know, horn sounds that they used for that, that kind of that beginning and that like that works for that. But right. if you, if you would have used that later in the movie for, you know, like shredder or something with that kind of that, that MIDI sound of other instruments, it would not have worked. So you, you go with the, I call it the John Carpenter, um, you know, aesthetic where less is more. But right, it's bare really, bones to the yes. point where you don't need that flourish. Yes, that, that other ones like other movie lesser scores would have had like a like a straight on demo level beat uh, underneath like a bass line or a yeah or a, you know so, some sort of electronica sound and which is what you got a lot of in the early 80s i mean it's yeah uh, i mean uh, the early 90s it's not but it still works today i mean my little girl actually watched this movie with me and she really enjoyed it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that's awesome and it didn't feel old to her and yeah. it, it, and that's i think uh i think a big deal to be honest yeah well, I think one of the biggest uses of music, at least for me in this movie, was when they're having the final battle with the Foot Clan before they fight Shredder and the battle goes into New York City, like on the street level. And it has that right. kind of upbeat tone that the beginning had when you first see the turtles and they're, you know, clowning around with each other through the sewer and everything. Then they make it up to the rooftop. That song's still playing. When they beat the last members of the Foot Clan, and the music just completely stops, and you see Shredder land on the rooftop, and you hear that. It's like the air is itself being sucked out of the scene, where yeah. you're like, "Oh, now it's now it's on. Like it's the the fun is over." 
and and well, and and you can feel it in a way because whenever the turtles are standing there, the, the way they react to that scenario is, um, okay, well, <laughs> let's make fun of it for a moment. All right, let's go. You know, it's like it, 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 they are kind of giving voice to the way the audience feels in that moment. It's like exactly. Oh, 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 no. <laughs> they because never you got to look for a can opener. You know, they've never seen Shredder to this point. So they would have the same, that's the same reaction the three of us would have if some dude came jumping out of the sky and landed in front of us. We would all three be like, what is up with this dude? You know, like it's that reaction. And it just works. Yeah, it's... It goes into, you know, like I mentioned, the can opener line. Like, the, what what do you guys think are some of the best, like, quotes or lines from this movie? Because there are so many good ones. You know, Jason, you played the, the fellow Chucker yeah. one. Fellow Chucker, earlier. yeah. Yeah. So what, <laughs> like, what? You guys must have been studying from the abridged book of Ninja <laughs> Fighting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I'm, I've been trying to think of this all morning. Like there are so many good ones. Like I love the Jose Canseco bat. Tell me you yeah. never paid money for this line. <laughs> Tell me you didn't pay money. Two for I one think that's power. probably one of my favorites. Uh, not only that, but I still do the Casey Jones. Oops. When it, when I do something that <laughs> <laughs> and he crushes shredder. <laughs> Another one of my favorites is, uh, just ninja kick the damn rabbit. <laughs> do something. Yeah. Uh, yeah there's that one um i'm trying to think of other ones there's Uh, so there's so many great ones uh why is man 30 seconds (laughs) yeah why is man say uh forgiveness forgiveness is divine divine, never pay full price for late late pizza i actually have a funny story behind that line so you guys know our mutual friend steve wise I yes. posted oh, that yeah. on Facebook just as a quote once, and Steve's like, I've never said that before in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, he never stops trolling me. I respect you it know, so much. I know this is not this movie, but one of my favorite lines out of any movie ever is from the second film. And it's the one where they go, look, it's Raph. A little too wrath. <laughs> because it's let up with it's quiet. You know, and one of the quiet. one of the um, the scenes that as I get older, I question uh, when you know when they're down in the sewer at the beginning, and you know he's waiting on the pizza, and he's like, "Pizza dude's got thirty seconds," and he's been eating the the popsicle, <laughs> and he's got the stick, and I'm like, "Do they have a freezer down there?" Where did he I get mean, that electricity? Yeah, but I mean, it's not like they can walk into the local, you know, Best Buy and get, and get a, a a deep freeze or or a refrigerator. They they probably well, I don't know. I guess they could have gotten it out of the dump, and Donatello could have fixed it. Sears has a catalog. Yeah, yeah, true. But where would they deliver it? One twenty-two uh, and an eighth. One twenty-two and an eighth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was another good I guess one, too. Where, where is 122 and an eighth? You're standing on it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, one of the only things that, that didn't age gracefully was the little bit of homophobia in the middle of it. 
uh, where he says, you're claustrophobic. I never even looked at another guy before. Yeah. It's like, oh, no. I don't remember (laughs) that. Yeah, it's uh, whenever they're about to go down into the sewer and uh, Casey is having a hard time with being in the enclosed space. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then he goes to sleep in a truck. And then he rolls the window down. (laughs) He's like, he's like, (laughs) really quickly. uh, But it's a good thing he did because he saw everybody going, you know, saw the, the ambush. Yeah. When he saw, yeah. um, what was his name Danny? Danny he left yeah. the sewer to go back to the Foots hideout. So right. it served its purpose. And uh, <laughs> do you like penicillin on your pizza? Dur, then they... dur, dur. <laughs> <laughs> and did they specifically ask for Domino's not to uh, slice up the pizza at the beginning so that Leonardo That's could? Very do good it. question. <laughs> And it how dices, did that pizza not, How does that pizza not slide all down to one side from where he no, slid it? I thought that myself. I'm like, well, how are they? No, all the cheese is going to be on one side of the pizza now. Yeah, and that did not look like a Domino's pizza. Oh, it it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Domino's just gave them the money. Yeah. Another thing too about that scene is, I will never hear that hear the song tequila and not think of the dance scene from ninja yeah. ninjutsu <laughs> well this is light meditating oh and you know of course there is the line cowabunga i did of love at the beginning and the end whenever they're saying like the one-liners and donatello just says something like really stupid and they're like right wait, wait uh, what what was it? Bossa Nova? Uh, Bossa Nova. Like, no. Like, no. Chevy. Chevy Nova? <laughs> Excellent! Yeah! <laughs> well, and, and and of course, you know, I think we, none of us have said this line uh, as being memorable because it just seems so easy. It's like, God, I love being a turtle! Yeah. I remember us screaming that on the, uh, the school bus when I was a kid yeah. after that movie <laughs> came out. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing real quick, too, as far as visual that I liked before we start to wrap up here. I loved the flashback scenes when they showed the turtles being exposed to the ooze. And and Mm -hmm. even when Orokusaki kills um, Hamato Yoshi, the solid black background, dim lighting, loved it. Very kabuki theater, and I really enjoyed that. And it kind of had that weird, not quite not quite stop motion aspect to it, but, but like a real kind of um, like a grindhouse feel almost. Yeah. Like it, mm-hmm. like it was a 60s, 70s era Kung Fu movie. Yeah. I, I really, really like that. It's effective. It's, it was it very, really was. I really I've enjoyed ne- it. I've never seen a flashback sort of done that way since. Yeah. I, you know, honest to God, it seems like something Tarantino would do. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it felt very grindhouse, like like real grainy, low grade film stock, but real rich colors, you know? Right. Like everything just kind of popped out with the yeah. with the robes and the colors that they chose for that. And yeah. Just, and and the quick cuts were really interesting, especially whenever they they had the the where he sliced off his ear, part of his ear. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was. I mean, it's so well done. <laughs> 
that, oh, that leads you know, into the 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 scene at the end whenever it looks like Shredder's about to win and Splinter shows up and he calls him Oroku Saki. And then he mm-hmm. takes the mask off and you see the scars. And yeah. Raphael's reaction part is like, it's him. Like they, they, all these stories they heard, they now realize this is this is the guy. And for those who, yeah. you know, like I had watched the cartoon, so I knew who Oroku Saki was. So I was waiting for that reveal. And I can still remember people being shocked by it in the theater because not everyone knew about the cartoon. Right. Oh, I knew. I was in the theater as a kid. Like, oh, yeah, that's him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the guy. I mean, you, you know. and, and that's a weird thing about movies and TV shows like this. It's like sometimes you feel like everyone should know this. Yeah. But they don't. <laughs> so it, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic whenever you have all these super fans who know something's about to you know or know the twist or know whatever and then you're in a room full of people who are just there for a great show and it's like oh it's like what (laughs) i I remember looking at that uh, after you know he's got the scar on his face i'm like man you get scratched like that by a rat that probably got really infected (laughs) like he should still be alive yeah but no, the, the movie overall is, like I said, one of my 10 favorite movies of all time. I've seen it a countless number of times. I can, this is a movie that I can have on as background noise and yeah. not get tired of it. But I will still catch myself in some aspects sitting down and watching the movie. It, it's, oh, yeah. it's a movie that to me was a huge part of my childhood. And even you know as I've gotten older and I've become more fascinated with the filmmaking side of things... I've always been drawn to how this movie was made and learning about the the suits, the remote controls with the facial expressions on the suits, the acting, the voice acting, so much stuff that went into making this. I mean, we mentioned it before. It's an indie movie. Yeah. But it still to this day is one of the best, not just indie movies, but to me, one of the best movies ever made. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean... And, and- it and you look released, at this is the the movie um golden harvest i believe was the name of the company that actually made the movie mm-hmm. and it was distributed by a new line cinema yep. who their biggest hit before that was a nightmare uh nightmare on elm street and you know combined with those two big hits it kind of made them a bigger studio at that point you know yeah. to it would it, they would eventually go on to make the Blade movie, um, which which elevated them even further. And it's so this movie is instrumental in having New Line Cinema be the player that it is. Yeah, think I mean if it wasn't for the Ninja Turtles, they probably wouldn't have. They probably would have gone bankrupt and never made the the um, Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we we have Ninja Turtles to thank for uh, the Lord of the Rings Lord movie. Of the Rings. But that's the thing, like that the movie still holds up. It's utterly watchable anytime, and um, it still holds up like crazy. Like it, it's still, like you said, it's still one of my favorite movies. Right. And um, it just it's weird how what they did for that amount of money. Uh, to be an independent movie and just do what they did with, because that movie had to be such a pain in the ass to make. <laughs> like I can't even imagine 
what it took to get that movie made. You know, my um, a couple of years ago, I did that survey of the greatest 100 movies ever made, mm-hmm. and Ninja Turtles is number 81 on that list. Too low. What? A oh, way too low. Too it, low. It is, it's low, but I mean, you know, this is from everybody I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's not going to be. There are movies that are, aren't even on the list that I'm shocked about. But hmm. that's the point. Is Ninja Turtles two on here? Let me see. What's crazy uh, is next year that movie. Yeah, eighty-seven. <laughs> wow, too high. <laughs> uh, agreed. I don't know. Agreed. Kevin Nash is in that film. That gives yeah. points. As the Super Shredder. As a kid, no, I thought that I... was the coolest thing ever. Was seeing the Super Shredder. Yeah. I did too until you know he died. <laughs> you've done this to yourself <laughs> you have done that yourself sorry different franchise but, uh, I, I know we we kind of touched on it but I, i'll ask you guys as we wrap up here uh it's kind of a two-part question we'll we'll start with you jason what do you think is the legacy of this movie and what is your favorite moment from this movie oh gosh my favorite moment um I don't know if I have a favorite moment. I mean, the whole damn movie is good. Uh, like I said, probably my favorite moment of the movie is um, probably uh, you know the 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 farmhouse scene, you know where the uh, you know Leo is under the tree meditating, and then you you have the montage of of them kind of get you know getting back to health, you know Raphael getting back to health and practicing to come back stronger and better, like that. Just that whole scene is still great. And I mean, you just look at the legacy of the turtles. I mean, if it, I don't know if, if it wasn't for that movie, I don't know if the turtles would have lasted as long as they did to be still the relevant franchise that it is today. If it had just stayed a cartoon, it probably would have just petered off after a while. Um, you know, if they did make a movie, if the movie would have been to the level of, you know, a Super Mario Brothers movie, it definitely would have killed that franchise and its tracks. So thank thankfully that movie was way more way better than it probably was meant to be. <laughs> and it just kept that franchise alive till today. Wally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, no, like like I said earlier, it it kept New Line Cinema afloat. It kept uh, the streak of taking comic book properties seriously. Because um, uh, before that, like literally the year two, the year before was Batman. Yeah, yeah year before. Uh, so th- this was basically the first big comic book movie after Batman. And mm-hmm. it just kept that momentum going. So it's not only responsible for keeping the turtles alive, uh, New Line Cinema alive. It also popular continued the popularization of comic book movies. Uh, I mean, it, it's a well-made film that works today in a way that a lot of movies from 1990 just don't. Yeah, uh, like Spaced Invaders. Uh, we. <laughs> 
we uh but you know my favorite moment in the movie and to try to to pick one that hasn't been talked about yet uh in the moment where uh the fight with Raphael spills into April's apartment uh they are fighting everybody and they hand out axes to all of the foot clan soldiers and the moment where Michelangelo is like and Donatello are both basically rolling out of the way as like a good thing these guys aren't lumberjack yeah the only thing safe in the forest would be the trees <laughs> <laughs> and it just to to this day it tickles me to no end yeah that's a very good, good scene yeah i i like that a lot i i think for me the legacy of this movie is that it also introduced a new layer to the Ninja Turtles that a lot of mainstream fans didn't know about that just knew about the cartoon that showed that it can be taken more seriously. And it kind of continued in a way with the 2003 uh, series that came out where it was still, it was animated, but it had a little bit of a serious tone that reminded me of this movie and I think that's why I liked it so much. And my favorite moment, even though I have already mentioned it, it's the scene when they're on the farm sitting around the campfire and the apparition of Splinter appears because that's that showed how emotionally like raw this movie was. It's a movie about four walking, talking turtles who eat pizza and do martial arts mm-hmm. But the story was so freaking relatable. Like the the shot after the apparition disappears, there's a shot of just Michelangelo where he's almost like staring off into space and he has the two tears rolling down his eyes. And I'm like, man, that's so good. Uh-huh. So freaking yeah. good. But And I agree also in the sense that it, it, it helped revolutionize comic book movies before you know, the MCU came along and the more modern DC movies came along. You had movies like the 89 Batman. You had this movie. You had Batman Returns that still laid the foundation for what's been a very, very successful run in mainstream media. Yeah. So, yeah. And we owe that to, to Ninja Turtles. So I, you know, I, I, and I didn't think about this beforehand, but it also, I think had a gold rush of, of uh, studios picking up lesser known properties as well, you know, because we got yeah. that Blade movie, we got The Crow, we got The Mat. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's, which was a New Line film also. So it's, I think that the legacy of the Turtles is, you know, if you take these things seriously, no matter how ridiculous they are, people will come and they will spend all of their monies. Yeah. And it's still going to this day. Ninja Turtles right. is still relevant in pop culture. And it's yeah, been around for almost 40 the, years. The Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the new cartoons are have all been pretty good. Because <laughs> my little girl used to watch them. And I'm like, you know, I don't mind this. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's watch this show. <laughs> I mean, the, the crane took over the world. Tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think Ninja Turtles will be around long after the three of us are gone. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, we will be 
we will be uh, all looking more like Ninja Turtles, green, bald, by the time this is, <laughs> this is all over with. Uh, awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to do this roundtable. It was well worth the wait. I, it's one of my favorite shows that I've ever done in the history of this podcast. So thank you, guys. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's a pleasure. And uh, anything you guys want to throw out there as far as um, – plugs or social media wally anything for you uh just at the real big wall on uh twitter i am uh facebook slash wally is funny um i am also uh be on the lookout for my congressional campaign <laughs> hashtag phelps helps yes jason uh just follow me on twitter and instagram at jfunktastic um and go give my twitch channel a follow I follow twitch.tv slash jfunktastic. I'm pretty much jfunktastic anywhere. So if you want to follow me, just look that up and that's where I'll be. I, I may be streaming from PlayStation 5 Thursday. So Ooh. if, uh, which not on Twitch, but like just so just on the, uh, the real big wall, uh, be on the lookout because I will share whenever that happens. I might be playing some Miles Morales. Ooh. <laughs> Yes. Can't wait to play that game. <laughs> cool. Well, just as a quick programming note, uh, there will be no show next week due to Thanksgiving. So I will be what? back the week of December 4th, I believe is the exact date. But if you want to follow this show on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. If you want to subscribe to the show, it's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast for free. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. I'm also on Patreon at patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And thank you, of course, to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out all their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe Thanksgiving holiday, and we'll see you guys back here in two weeks for another awesome episode of The Derek Diamond Experience. (laughs) 